Hi, everyone, and welcome to episode number 241 of The Freelancer Show. On our panel this week, we have Jonathan Stark. Hello. And I'm Ruben Lerner. And this week, we have a special guest. It is Erin Flynn. Hey, Erin. Hi, thank you for having me. Our pleasure. Uh, tell us about yourself, or tell all of our listeners about yourself, since we've got to know you a bit. Mm-hmm. Um, I do web design and development, but I also, and actually what most people know me for, is helping other web designers and developers streamline their businesses, run them more effectively, and communicate with their clients far more efficiently, because that's something a lot of us are not very good at. <laughs> communicate with clients. Uh, that is just a silly thing in my life. Um, <laughs> so I, I think what, what we, we were... Um, we discussed previously sort of talking specifically not just about communication with clients, but communication with bad clients and what should we do when we have bad clients. So why don't you give us some background on that? Tell, tell us about bad clients, Erin. Well, most clients, honestly, are not that bad. We tend to, you know, through things like clients from hell and just venting to each other, we tend to have the opinion that basically every client ever is evil, and that's not actually <laughs> true. People do not hire us so that they can make us miserable, um, as, as crazy as that sounds. They don't pay us money to make our lives difficult. Um, but what happens is that we take on clients that are perhaps a bad fit or we fail to identify where there are problems, where this is maybe not the best project for us. And that leads to the client becoming a bad client very quickly, as well as them getting frustrated with us and thinking that we're a bad designer or a developer. Hey, everybody, this is Charles Maxwood. I just wanted to talk to you really briefly about JS Remote Comp. Uh, We just picked speakers. Things are looking really good. And uh, we're really excited to cover a broad range of topics for JavaScript developers. So if you're looking to learn things about Node.js, about becoming a better developer, about deployment, about mobile development, and much more, and much more about JavaScript, then come check us out, jsremoteconf.com. Uh, you can also find it by going to devchat.tv conferences and then picking the conference you want. We have last year's recordings there. We have this year's uh, conference coming up. So make sure you get your ticket and we'll see you there. thinking that we're a bad designer or a developer. You could but it's not preaching that... to the choir harder. <laughs> <laughs> so so what, what should you do? Well, first of all, how do you handle clients like that? Or I guess, let's even go back a bit. How, right, how do you make sure, because everyone seems nice, right? You have an initial meeting, they seem great, seems like a great fit, they'll pay you oodles of money, this project will last forever. Um, on, on, and on. How do you identify the clients that sound great but might not be? One of the things I think that is a bit of misinformation that leads us thinking that clients are a good fit when they're not is the like ideal client avatar or ideal client profile that we're told time and time again to make. And I think that's a really great starting point. And it's it's nice to have you know clients with interests that you understand, but. A big issue comes where we're looking at what someone looks like on paper, and maybe they like the same colors we do, maybe they like the same design style, maybe they like Star Wars, and that's great. They could be best friends. That's fantastic. But that doesn't necessarily mean that you're going to work well with them, and so there are a few key things to look at, and the main thing being, do you communicate well with them in the initial contact when they 
you know, fill out your inquiry form. Do you understand what it is they're saying? Do you have to read it 10 times before you understand? If you get on a call with them, does it seem like you just aren't connecting and, you know, you have to like really make an effort to understand what it is they're saying and what it is they want? And I think that's something that's so often overlooked because when you don't understand what your client's saying and when they don't understand what you're saying, just it, it, it very rapidly turns into this snowball effect where you, you get angry every time you see an email from them or every time you see a question from them and you're going, why don't they get this? Like, why can they just not wrap their head around what it is that I'm doing? And that just leads to frustration, which then you take out, maybe not intentionally, on the client and then they take out back on you and it just ends up kind of being a nasty relationship where you just can't wait to get them out the door and never see them again. Even though you both love Star Wars and the color pink, it just, it doesn't make a good fit all the time you, you know I hadn't it's so obvious that when I'm trying to hire someone that the consultant freelancer whatever I hire the specialist I hire should be able to communicate well it never occurred to me until what you just said now that I should be looking for clients who communicate well because that will have an equally uh, dramatic impact on my my ability to work well with them it does. And, I, and there are lots of different communication styles and it doesn't make them a bad person for communicating differently than you. It just means that you might have problems. And, you know, if you're willing to do things like you can you can remedy a lot of that. If you have a non techie client, you can show screenshots or do some screencasts. You just have to budget that into your time and the amount of work that you're going to take to explain things to people um, that maybe you didn't originally plan on or who don't necessarily fit your ideal communication style. You know, we all we all tend to hate hopping on the phone with clients, but sometimes clients really need you to get on the phone with them for them to understand what's going on. They just work better that way. And if you're not willing to do that, you probably shouldn't have a client who wants to talk on the phone all the time. You probably should pass them on to somebody else. Absolutely. It's not the exact same thing, but what I often say about my clients and when I'm selecting them, whether or not we'll be a good fit, I usually say I only work with clients who I'd like to go out for drinks with. It's not the exact same thing because, you know, you're talking about, oh, friends, uh, you know, just because you like pink and Star Wars. But that that's it, it's 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 funny because it would be easy to confuse my advice to only work with people that you like uh, because of what you're saying. Really, what I mean by that when I say it is that you communicate well and mm -hmm. you should probably do a better job pointing that out. It's not that you're fr I mean, I feel like when you're friends with someone, you probably do communicate well. If it's the kind of person you like to hang out with and go to dinner and that kind of thing, you're, you're not going to be have a hard time communicating with each other. The you're not going to have like you know you're not going to keep going out together. But uh, it, it, you know I'm I'm chastened. <laughs> I be more specific about what I mean when I say that as my example. So that's excellent. Well, and I think the the friends thing is a good point because you want to be excited. You want to want to work with your clients You and having similar interests where you mesh well and, you know, you can comment on things like, oh, I saw you went skiing this weekend. Nice ski too. That's awesome. It helps build a great relationship. But I also have clients where I have nothing in common with them, but they are fantastic clients and we work really well together. And, you know, they're, they're 50 years older than I am and they have no idea how to do anything except use the phone, but we communicate well. Um, they pay me well and I help them get the results that they want and we have literally nothing in common. So it's those ideal customer avatars or profiles are a great starting point, like I said, and wanting to go get drinks with your clients is fantastic and I highly recommend having clients like that because it makes uh, the process and the project a lot of fun, but that doesn't necessarily mean that 
you can't have clients where maybe you wouldn't get a drink with them, but they're fantastic to work with. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. So one of the big themes on the show is that, uh, maybe it's just because I talk about it all the time, but I am a fan of not billing clients by the hour. In fact, I despise Mm -hmm. it. And I feel like that, I feel like a lot of what you're saying would be easier to adhere to on the freelancer's part by not not billing by the hour. So, of course, I mean, of course, I see this problem everywhere because I think it's endemic. But if you are not billing by the hour, you will find ways that perhaps are outside of your comfort zone to communicate what you need to communicate more quickly and more efficiently. Like you, you mentioned, you know, you might not want to jump on the call, but if that's faster and more efficient than having a, a 700 thread email, you know, email thread mm-hmm. back and forth or, or whatever, you know, you'll find a way to become more effective with the particular client and you'll sort of um, perhaps customize your approach to be more effective for them instead of just saying, I always do video calls and that's it. And I think that what I'm trying to say is that if you are, you know, if you're getting $50,000 for the job full stop, you will automatically find ways to increase the, the efficiency of the communications to make them more effective because you're just, it's, uh, it's in your best interest and it's in their, their best interest. Yes, exactly. And I think um, just billing hourly in general is terrible <laughs> to do uh, because I think it really devalues your worth. Honestly, I think it is um, it, it makes you turn into like a code monkey or a pixel pusher as opposed to being that expert and setting that flat rate and kind of having those boundaries and those expectations of you as being an expert as opposed to somebody that they hire and tell, hey, I want that moved, you know, two pixels to the left, get to it. Yeah, exactly. So, okay, what what can you do to sort of minimize, you know, if we're talking about identifying and avoiding nightmare clients, what, what can you do once a project starts where maybe, maybe you saw some red flags or maybe you didn't, but what can you do initially in a project or throughout a project to kind of keep everything on track? What do you think is the, the best approach? What I like to do is I have what I call an intro packet. And what I do is once the client initially contacts me, this is actually like my secret weapon for weeding out bad clients because it outlines my entire process of how I work, what I expect from them, like having all of their content and all of their images ready to go before the work starts, what my office hours are and things like that. And before I do anything with them, before I hop on the phone for that first discovery call, they need to read through and agree to my intro packet. And so that really weeds out the people who, you know, want to call you at 7 a.m. on a Sunday morning when they realize, oh, she's not going to be available 24-7 during this. She's going to expect me to do things and not wait on me to, you know, write seven pages of content when we're in the middle of a project. And there are going to be things expected of me. So having something like an intro packet where you set those expectations before anything is agreed uh, upon is my secret weapon. And then once you have the project going, you know, things might seem to be going really well. And at some point, there might be some miscommunication. And the most important thing is if you get an angry email from a client is not to freak out and to rashly just send something back or to get defensive. It's to review the communication that you've had and see where maybe something was not explained properly or maybe there was just some miscommunication about um, what was happening at what stage. Because a lot of times clients get antsy because we, we 
like hole up and we start working on things and they don't know what's going on. And so sometimes you'll get panicked emails saying like, where's my website? Like what's happening? Like, why is this not done yet? And you think to yourself, you're being such an idiot. Like this is not going to be done for another two weeks. I told you this. Well, Clients need a reminder, especially if you haven't been checking in with them and telling them how things are going. And that doesn't mean, you know, you have to give them something to review constantly, but just keep them informed that you are making progress. And, you know, here's what I did this week. Here's what's happening next week. FYI, do you have any questions? Um, But a lot of it really comes from looking at where maybe your processes or your explanations weren't clear because 90% of the time the client's just confused and they get antsy because they probably paid you several thousands of dollars to do something and they're like, oh my gosh, like what's happening? I, I'm freaking out right now. And it's you just really have to like look and get back on track and give them an explanation and communicate more clearly what's happening so that they will calm down. Mm. Well, I mean, so, and you, you've already described then a few different filters you put your potential clients through. So, first of all, they need to fill out some sort of contact form, basic sort of intro information. Mm-hmm. And then once they've like, gone through that and you've decided, yeah, they communicate well enough that I want to potentially work with them, then you um, you know, send your intro packet, send your intro packet out to them, and they have to agree to that. It's, it, it sounds like less of an intro packet than just a sort of agreement to ground rules. I'm wondering how many people drop out at each stage. You know, I have, and I think honestly it depends. I have um, a lot of people who specifically want to work with me for specific reasons, um, mostly through referrals. So most of my clients come via referral. They're not, you know, cold leads. They're not people who just stumble upon my website. So I have a very low dropout rate. Um, I'm more likely to fire them before the project even starts based on our discovery call than they are to drop out during the, like, intro part. Um and I think the reason for that is because most of my clients come via referral. I think if they were maybe colder clients who just stumbled on my website and said, oh, hey, I'll send her, you know, like a contact form, like inquiry, and then see what happens, then I think that I would probably have a higher drop-off rate. But when you get clients via referral, um, they already want to work with you. You've already been recommended. And so that really makes them I, I think it makes them want to jump through a couple hoops to work with the right person. And so I realize not everybody has that luxury, in which case, if somebody's newer and they're struggling to get clients, I would make the intro packet maybe a little bit more of a sales pitch um, with maybe a couple follow-up emails with case studies about um, why working with you is a great option and like the results that you've given past clients and include those kinds of things in the intro to help push that pitch a little bit harder. Um, in my case, I don't need to do that but everybody has a different business. So it's really kind of experimenting with what works best while still getting those expectations set right in the beginning. Yeah, I can, I can totally uh, give you an anecdotal example that supports what you just said, where I recently was like, hey, I'm looking for someone to redo a website and I got a referral from someone I really trust. So that was important. Like the person, I know the person had high standards my friend, and then they gave me this referral to this place, and then the place maybe jumped through a couple of hoops. It was no big deal, but it wasn't just like, it wasn't them being like, oh, oh, please, 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 can we have your work? It was like, here's our process, fill this out, and then, uh, you know, then click here, and we'll set up a video call. You know, it was a very well-defined process, and you could look at that as me having to jump through hoops, and I had to wait to talk to them, you know, something like a week to 10 days before we could actually set up a calendar you know, a a mutually agreeable date. By the time we got on the phone call, I was ready to throw money at them 
You know, I was like, these guys have a process. It's like, you know, here's a few thousand dollars. Where do I sign? And it it's fabulous. And it's and I've hired people the sort of old school way in the past where it's like you look at their portfolio, they have some pretty work, and they charge 150 bucks an hour to do web design, and you end up wanting to call the cops on them afterwards. You know, because <laughs> yeah. it's robbery. So I, it's super, super refreshing to um, – so I think I really I'm just sort of supporting the two things that you said, which is like the value of referrals, number one, and number two, making it clear through your behavior that you don't work with everyone and that there are certain things that you, dear client, or you should do in the best interest of the project because I'm experienced and know how this works and there are some things that you really need to do. Otherwise, this thing's going to be a failure, you know, most likely. So Right. And I think that having a couple hoops to jump through, um, when I hire other you know, like entrepreneurs, I get worried when it's too easy, honestly, when they're like, or if they're in Facebook groups posting about like, I have availability, I have availability, please, please, please hire me. I'm like, what's wrong that you're not booked out a little bit? Like what's, it it sets up this concern um, for me as, you know, a client that maybe there's a reason why they're just accepting anyone and why they're open like why they have availability right now and that that's kind of something where even even if you're newer just having um not starting projects like right that same day and you know pushing them off even a week or two can help make you look more professional and to help um kind of establish that you're not just desperate for them which means that they're not going to be able to walk all over you because you've established that you don't really need them even if you kind of do you've kind of set that expectation expectation that you're not just willing to bend over backwards and give them everything and have the scope go way 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 past what you've decided and agreed upon because you've already established some boundaries and expectations just through the onboarding process absolutely you touched on something earlier that I wanted to loop back to quickly. You're, you know, you're talking about if communications kind of got off track and you get the angry email, don't flip out. Um, what do you think, uh, let's just say on average, because I'm sure it's different from client to client, but on average, how often do you personally try to keep in touch with clients on an active project and, and what channels are the most common? Is it email, base camp? Is it once a week? Is it twice a week? Is it video calls? I'm just kind of curious about that. It depends on the project and what stage of the project we're in, but typically I would make sure to be in contact with the client at least once per week, um, bare minimum, even if it's just a quick note. And I always put people into my project management system. I actually use FreedCamp. Um, I prefer the interface, but um, whatever project management system you want to use, even if it's just a quick update where you say, here's what I accomplished this week, here's what's on the schedule for next week, um, just that they have that update. At different points of the project, I will do calls um, at least once a week, maybe more often if there's some confusion or if I need to clarify something. Um, But I don't do calls every single week because, honestly, I feel like that's a waste of time most of the time. Um, You know, I don't need to you know, tell the client, you know, here's what I accomplished this week, but I'm not showing it to you yet because it's not ready for review. There's no point in getting on a call for that. But during like the strategy phase, um, I will get on calls with clients and I want to make sure that I really understand what their goals are for the project and how we can measure those. And if I need any clarification, typically that's easier done over the phone or over Skype, um, as opposed to an email where, you know, 
pe- people and emails, it's, it's just not a good mix because they try and answer really quickly. They skim your email. They ha- answer maybe half your questions if you're, if, if you're lucky. And it's just like this whole process of, oh, I have, you know, a hundred things to respond to and they don't give it the proper attention. So I try to avoid email as much as possible. Um, but yeah, it really what, just kind of depends on the phase. What, what, what about your like non-technical clients though? Are they generally okay with Skype or with Slack or what, what, what non-email tools do they like to use then? I do have some um, clients that I, I, I have gotten on the actual phone for. <laughs> um, I try not to use the phone because I feel like um, it, it's not as effective. Like it's harder to schedule a phone call because people just have your number. Meanwhile, Skype, you can just kind of log out of um, and they can't contact you unless you're ready. Um, but I do have some older clients who are non-technical. They're in their 70s. So the phone is what works for them. And of course, I'm willing to make that, um, you know, that that happen for them because that's what works. They're great clients. Um, so I'm, I'm willing to get on the phone. I do ask them to schedule their phone calls at least a day in advance so that I can prepare for them and I can have their files open. So they understand that. Um, in terms of other calls, typically if I'm doing an active project, uh, we'll have a phone call every Thursday. Um, if it's the right phase of the project. So we'll have a scheduled call on Thursdays where we'll cover specific things based on that project and, and the phase that we're in. Um, and in that way, it's, it's kind of the end of the week. So if they're taking Friday off or it happens to be a holiday or whatever, um, that works out fine. But it's still a scheduled call that's kind of set up from the beginning. And I'll typically say, you know, we're going to have three to four scheduled calls during this project. Um and I prefer Skype because then if I need to, I can do a screen share with them and I can like say, well, here's what you know I'm working on right now. I had a question about how you wanted this flow of the website to go or how you wanted like this section to work. Um, and here are a couple options as examples from other websites so we can get the proper functionality built in. So I find Skype to be uh, the best due to screen sharing. TimberTax.co provides web-based tax services for freelancers and consultants. A web-based experience from end-to-end, including direct interaction with certified professionals, Timber is able to help you stay compliant and plan for the future. Taxes are often the biggest expense faced by freelancers and consultants. Are you investing in planning and understanding how to minimize your tax and manage your cash flow? Taxes don't have to be intimidating or scary. With our client-first approach and accessibility, you never have to wonder where your return is or when you'll get your refund. Book a free consultation today or check to see if your tax question is on our FAQ at TimberTax.co. Okay, so you talk to your clients on a regular basis. Everything's going swimmingly until it doesn't, right? You're, you're having one of these calls and then sign an email. And they're saying like, what are you talking about? Star Wars, I said Star Trek. Doesn't anyone understand the difference anymore? Oh my Dr. God. Spock, get out of here. <laughs> so, um, so what, what, what do you do then? And like, what do you do then if they get upset? And what do you do then if they get upset so much that it's just clearly bad for you and bad for the project? So the first thing I always recommend doing is acknowledging that you understand that they're upset. Uh, And a lot of people don't want to do this um, because it's like admitting fault, but it's not admitting fault. Like whether you're right or wrong, they're upset and you you can't take that away from them as much as you might want to. They are upset. So you need to acknowledge that and you can apologize that they are upset. I tend to recommend 
unless you have really obviously screwed something up, you don't apologize for messing anything up. You don't apologize um, when something is not your fault because that puts you in a bad place. But you can't apologize, you know, about the way that they're feeling or that, you know, like, I'm so sorry that you feel this way. Here's what we can do to remedy the situation and give them some options. And this is why it's best if you get an angry email from a client, go take a little bit of a break. Don't try and answer it right away because you're going to be worked up. So, you know, I, I try and go for a run or, you know, you have to the shower and then your brain starts working about like how you can respond to that properly. Just don't do it immediately because you're not going to give a good response. Um, but the important thing is to acknowledge how they're feeling and then give options that you can do to fix the problem. So it's either, um, you know, um, I understand, you know, that you feel this way. Um, we can either do A or B. Let me know which option works best for you and we'll proceed. Um, and then normally they just want to feel like you are taking care of them. Like that's, that's typically the biggest concern is they feel like you've dropped the ball and you've like abandoned them and you haven't. It's probably just a little, you know, oopsie, but the way they feel, especially when you're talking about like a multi-thousand dollar project, um, can really make people antsy. Um, and so always, always, always give the next course of action that can be taken to remedy whatever the situation is. And that could be something as simple as let's hop on Skype and do a walkthrough where I can point out, you know, where everything is and give you an explanation about different things. Um, or, you know, it might be something as drastic as let's go back to the drawing board and see where this got off track. Like, let's go back through every single thing and figure out how we can work together to get this solved. Um, and then in some cases, it might actually be you know, or, you know, you can take what I've done so far and take it to another designer or developer um, and have them complete it or take it on from here because obviously I'm not the right person to be doing this. But that's a pretty drastic response. That's, you know, only if you really don't feel like you can remedy the situation. And then if people are overly rude or overly crazy, <laughs> I recommend firing them or putting an end to it pretty quickly. So if you get an email where the client is just cussing you out, the response is, I'm not going to be able to help you until you speak to me differently. And that's basically it. You don't put up with that, period. Um, if they don't change the way that they're responding, you should have something in your contract where you can cancel the work. And I'm not a lawyer, so you know, make sure you get legal help on getting this into contracts, but where you can cancel the work due to um, just things basically not working out. Any reason you want to give or not give, you can cancel the work. Because sometimes clients, it's really rare and it's never actually happened to me, but I have had students who have had clients just absolutely cussing them out, threatening them, all sorts of things, and that's just not acceptable, and it needs to be cut off right then and there. Um, so it really kind of depends, but if you have to fire them, the best thing is to keep it professional, like never ever be like, oh, you're hurting me so bad, and I can't pay my bills, and blah, 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 just, you know, be like, all right, I understand this is how it is, this is what we're doing, and it's done. Um, and really decide, depending on how your contracts are, whether things are worth, you know, actually fighting over, who gets the copyrights to things, whether it's worth taking legal action over. Most of the time, it's better just to cut the project, give them whatever you've done, and just walk away. <laughs> what about refunds in that situation? So how would you, you know, it sounds like you're talking mostly about design style projects. Mm -hmm. What, and you started to touch on ownership of, of what's been created and the work that's been done. Do you offer, you know, in your, in your standard proposals, do you offer guarantees or any kind of, you know, like a money back guarantee or a satisfaction guarantee, or if something goes horribly wrong, 
uh, I will retain the rights to anything I create. Like, so how, how does that, I, I know that this is a rare thing. It's a rare, I hardly ever come across it, but I know people, they feel like they want to know the answers to these questions, even just in case someday they come up or mm-hmm. perhaps they need to lay some groundwork with a contract or some sort of expectation setting that will, that, that will give them, you know, the freelancer, I mean here, give them some sort of feeling of certainty, I guess, about what would happen if things went horribly wrong. Like, where's the fire extinguisher? Right. There's, there are different schools of thought on what you should do, actually. Um, I always have a non-refundable, non-refundable deposit. So once you, are, you pay your deposit and you're in my schedule, you can cancel at any time, but you are not getting that money back because I have blocked that time to work with you specifically. And so I'm not a lawyer, but that is something that I recommend. You have a lawyer, get into your contracts because as, as a freelancer, you, know, you, you have to block time for clients. And if somebody just disappears on you or decides they don't want to work with you two days before the project starts, you're, you're going to be frantically looking for more work and trying to pay your bills. So a non-refundable deposit, I think, is really important. And then my contract states that the payment due, if canceled in the middle of a project, is the percentage of the website that's complete based on my evaluation, which is really not fair to the client, but <laughs> they don't wow. they don't know like how close a website is to being done. And honestly, it's really kind of hard to break down. I'm sure if I ever went to court over it, I would have to show this is how much work has been done and this is how much work is left. And that's how I came up with this percentage. Um, So, you know, if the website is 75% complete, they owe me 75% of the money. And I do have payment milestones throughout the project. So they're paying for each phase of the project in advance. So I will always have the money before the work is done. And then it's up to me, honestly, whether I want to refund any of that or not. And I really feel like that's more of a personal decision. I would have in my contract, they owe me that money. If I if I felt like I was dropping the ball and I shouldn't have taken them on as a client, I would probably refund them at least part of that because it would be a failure on my part. And I think that's just an ethical, moral thing to do, even if my contract says I get to keep all of it. But basically... Um, I don't want to tell anybody what exactly they should put in their contract without talking to a lawyer, but make sure you have things in place where you can cancel projects, where you say who gets what copyrights. I always just hand things over to the client, honestly. If, if it's a bad fit, I just give them whatever I've created. I do retain the rights to show it in my portfolio, um, in which case if it was a, you know, a bad relationship with a client, I'll probably change their business name but show the work. Um, and I've actually never done that, but that's what I would do. Um, but I think it's really important that the designer retains the copyright to what's been created in terms of being able to show off their work and to get um, more clients based on, you know, the cool thing that they designed or the cool thing that they developed. But for me, I'd rather have the client take that and, you know, they've paid 75% of whatever, they get 75% completed files, they can go do whatever they want with them. And that's just my personal opinion. A lot of designers disagree with that. They think that unless it's paid in full, uh, the client shouldn't get anything. So that's really kind of more personal decision. I just don't want to, honestly, I just don't want to mess with it. I'm just like, here, take it, take it and go. And we'll both end up mildly happy as opposed to one of us being really ticked. Right. I, I think one, one thing to point out, I mean, I've, I fired a few clients, I'd say five at most, and I've been doing, I've been a freelancer for over 20 years now. Um, so now, by the way, some of them I should have fired, right? It's only <laughs> years later that I understand that I was kind of foolish, but each time 
each time it would take time for me to reach the conclusion that I needed to do that. Um, that I'd say like, well, maybe because you know I made a mistake here, and maybe I'll give them another chance. And <coughs> excuse me, and like a month or two of maybes later, and I realize it's, it's like what you described before. And like I get email from them, and I think, oh no, not more mail from them. God, what do they want now? And as that sort of builds up, I realize maybe I should just get rid of them. And and, and I, I spend probably a week agonizing over doing this and my <laughs> wife will tell me like like she said every time i have to do this she says you know you've done this before and every time you've done it you felt much better afterwards and sure enough then i send them email or i, I try even to call them and i make it clear look this is just not working out um and i'm happy to sort of help you transition to someone else but this is not a good relationship and afterwards i feel so much better i feel like this massive weight is off of my shoulders um <laughs> and even if i have to like clean up stuff or transfer it to someone else or explain something to them is just such a joy to be be done with that rather than having to have this burden of dealing with someone who's impossible. Um, so I, I definitely think it's it's worth it's worth doing it faster than I've done, uh, which is not a hard threshold to reach, just because you you will feel good about it and it will not ruin your business. That's the other thing. No, and I think that you can fire most clients in a way, honestly, unless they're being like really abusive to you. Um, there, you can typically fire clients on a good note. You can say, "Look, this isn't the best. Um, I'm not the best person to complete this project for you. I think that you need, you know, somebody else who's, you know, going to work better. Um, here are some recommendations. I'll help you switch things over or whatever." And they end up still very happy with you. In fact, a lot of people appreciate the fact that you recognized that you're not the best fit because they might have been feeling it too, but they didn't know where else to go. But you still helped them find someone who can help them and who can better meet their needs. So most of the time when you fire a client, not only do you feel better because you don't have to deal with them, they feel happier because you took care of them. They'll still likely recommend you um, to people that they think are a good fit for you. Um, but then they get taken care of. They find somebody who's a better fit and it ends up being better all around. So firing people does not necessarily have to be a negative thing, especially approaching it as, um, a way to help them, even if it's not you directly helping them, but getting them the help that they need for their project. Um, it can really actually be a positive thing for everyone involved, which sounds weird, but is actually true. Yeah, I'll, I can pile on there. I can think of at least two examples where I was like really far into something and was dreading it, was sick of it. It was turning into a slog. My prediction that it would be feasible to do a particular thing was turning out not to be true the project's dragging on and the and and eventually finally just said look this I, I i think i just screwed up like this might be impossible or i'm the wrong person to do it and and you know in both in two there are two particular cases i can think of where that was the case uh, in, in both cases it was because i picked a framework that turned out to be horrible but that's a separate story uh, anyway it was you know web development type stuff and I just, con in both cases, I contacted the person I'm like, look, I, I took us down the wrong path, I think. And I can't, uh, it it's not working for you. I don't think if we continue to beat on it, you know, beat this dead horse that it's going to come back to life. So let's just figure out something that's, that makes sense financially, you know, like forget about contracts and all that. Let's just figure out something that you think's fair and I think's fair. And let's, let's find something that's fair. And work that out and then I'll put you in touch with somebody who can maybe take a different approach or can take what we do have and get it over the finish line. Maybe it needs to be someone who's more specialized in this framework and I'm just too much of a noob or whatever. And the the and in both cases it went 
perfectly well. Um, we were able to find a financial arrangement that was acceptable to both parties. And to Reuven's point about feeling better, the feeling is, it's its not just a little bit better. It's like instantaneously you feel like you can float. <laughs> it's like like this thing that you've been beating your head against for three months, six months, a year, two years. All of a sudden it's gone instantly. And you're like, ah, it's like worth, you know, in, in both of these cases, I've refunded at least $5,000. And it's like no big, I'm like, what? Well, I'll gladly pay, gladly pay <laughs> the 5000 for this feeling of lightness. Yes, I, I think um, that feeling, I, I tell people that I, I enjoy helping other freelancers fire clients. And I think people are like, oh my God, that's horrible. But that feeling that you get, you know, that, that freedom and that just like relief, I love helping other people feel that. And um, I've had the opportunity to help literally hundreds of people fire clients, which sounds terrible, but it's such a positive thing. Um, just not just for the freelancer, but typically for the client as well. And everybody just ends up moving on and doing so much better than trying to say it's it's like a bad relationship like if you have a significant other who it's just it's hard to break away from but then finally you break up and it's like oh my god like i need to break up with you three years ago like why am i still in this relationship totally it's a lot less painful than that though i would say it, it is a lot less painful than that <laughs> but it's still the nice feeling of relief and you can move on and yeah i i love being able to help people do that and i think that um when you fire clients who are not a good fit, like you mentioned, you had to refund a lot of money. And that's really scary, especially for newer entrepreneurs. But you open up the ability to work with better clients um, and clients that are a better fit for you. And so even though it's terrifying to have to refund money or to not get final payment or things like that, it I've, I've actually never heard of it not working out. It's always been, okay, I fired this client, and then the next day I was able to take on this amazing new client and everything's so much better. Mm, absolutely. Yeah, it's hard to picture that happening, but like you said, it seems to happen every time. It does, which is weird. I, I hope it's not, you know, like some weird fluke, but I, it's honestly, I've seen it happen so many times that I think it's maybe even just a mindset thing. You get rid of that client and then you put yourself out there um, and the right person sees you within, you know, a short period of time and it ends up working out okay because you're now this positive person who's projecting positive, that sounds really woo-woo, but it projects, you know, positivity into the world and people go, okay, I want to work, you know, with this person. She's excited um, to work on projects. She's uh, putting good stuff out there. She seems like someone I want to work with as opposed to when you're, you know, working with bad clients and everything that you're putting out into the internet is, oh, I hate my clients. 100%. Totally agree. I'm curious what, what the, what the best way would be to uh, fire a client. Like, I mean, as I said, I think I've mostly done it over the phone, but I mean, it seems like a text message or, or email is probably a bad way to do it. Because you don't you don't want to go out with a bad feeling. You want to make it clear that this is good for everyone, right? Even though it's obviously good for you, like you want to make it clear it's good for the client too. So what's what's a good strategy for doing that? You know, I actually fire clients over email, and I actually recommend it. Um, and the reason why is because a lot of people are pushovers on the phone, and it sounds like you're not, but a lot of people are. And so when you try and fire somebody over the phone, um, I've heard of, and I've personally been talked into giving things another go um, because the client goes, "Oh, but please, please, like I want, I just want this one thing, and can you please help me with this?" And it's a lot harder to say no over the phone or over Skype um, than it is to be very clear 
in an email. Um, so I actually prefer the email method. However, if you're good at sticking, you know, to your guns and just being clear um, over the phone, then I do think that is a more personal um, option. I think that's a great option if you know that you are good at sticking to things over the phone. If you know you're a pushover like I am, I would recommend going <laughs> the email option um, because then it's very clear that the project is canceled. It's in writing as well. So you have I'm canceling the project in writing, which is important, um, especially my contract stipulates that cancellations must be in writing. So it has to be via email or project management system some way that it can be referred back to with the date. Um, so I actually think it just depends on you and your business and how you typically communicate with clients. It would be very weird to call them if that's, if you've never talked to them on the phone before, it'd be weird to call them to fire them. If you do have regular phone communication with them and you're good at setting boundaries, um, then do it over the phone. I would recommend writing some sort of a script or template so that you know exactly what to say so that it's clear and then following up with an email um, or some form of written communication that says, you know, just to recap our phone call, um, we're canceling this project from this point. I'm going to help you find another designer or developer or whatever um, to help you move forward just so that you do have writing to refer back to if needed. Um, but otherwise, you know, especially if the client is being rude or abusive, then just do it via email, make it super clear, no room for interpretation or, you know, like craziness, just writing simple, clear, this product's done, here's what's happening next, and that's it. Um, so yeah, I'm actually a big fan of emails, but it really kind of, like I said, depends on how you've been communicating with your clients up to that point. I, I use email, plus one, definitely. It's so, <laughs> it's so final. It, it's like once once I've reached the realization that it's over, I, mm -hmm. I, I don't really consider myself a pushover, but I do think that if we got on the phone and it got into a back and forth, I would start to get rude or short and I don't want that to happen. You know, I, was, mm -hmm. I would almost certainly stick to my guns. It's not necessarily a problem, but I don't know if I'd be able to do it in a kind of empathetic way. I would yes, that's into like a robot and be like, dude, I told you it's over. Stop, <laughs> you know, stop. Yeah. Right. That, I, 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 I had that. The most, I guess not the most recent. Was it the most recent? Maybe. In any event, no, it wasn't. But I, the, the one that sticks out in my mind most in terms of finding a client was it just became, yeah, me, me repeating myself. But why? But why? Mm -hmm. And I said, well, it's, I just don't think it's going to work out. It's not good chemistry. But why? Tell me more. Now, what I didn't want to tell him, because he still would be a little money, was you don't pay on time. And that's ridiculous. Because then he would have said, oh, I'll pay you. And indeed, he paid me the next day. And then was sort of hopeful that I would come back to him. But it was like, it was, it was just too late. Mm -hmm. Um so I, I had to fudge it a little bit there, but the fudging seemed very artificial in that he knew there must be something more, um, but I, I wasn't going to let on. And then, it just, yeah, it just sort of was a back and forth, which is kind of annoying. Yeah, I think that that can be, I don't know, I, I feel like also on the phone, whether you're worried about being a pushover or being too rude, you also might say something that you shouldn't say, which can also backfire and hurt you later, um, whether it's admitting to, you know, messing something up and then they want to take you to court because now they, real, they, they realize or they think that it's your fault or you just stick your foot in your, I stick my foot in my mouth so much, like just no, <laughs> like I can't even get on the phone about, you know, problems like that. It just would be a mess and I would end up looking unprofessional and you know it, it would just cause more problems and it would not end on a good note for me so it, it, i really think it depends on your communication style well we should wrap up do you have any other final thoughts uh, before we head into picks i think the the main final thought or piece of advice that i can give people is 
really look at your clients before you take them on. Make sure you're excited to work on their project. Make sure you communicate clearly. Um, make sure it seems like you're, you have some excitement about getting this project done because that will carry over um, that excitement and that fun will carry over into the whole relationship. And that's going to give you the best clients to work with and set the whole project up for success better than anything else is having that excitement. Excellent. Um, Jonathan, do you have anything for Hey, everybody. This is Charles Maxwood. I just wanted to talk to you really briefly about JS Remote Conf. Uh, we just picked speakers. Things are looking really good. And uh, we're really excited to cover a broad range of topics for JavaScript developers. So if you're looking to learn things about Node.js, about becoming a better developer, about deployment, about mobile development, and much more, and much more about JavaScript, then come check us out, jsremoteconf.com. Uh, you can also find it by going to devchat.tv conferences and then picking the conference you want. We have last year's recordings there. We have this year's uh, conference coming up. So make sure you get your ticket and we'll see you there. Excellent. Um, Jonathan, you have any picks for us this week? Uh, yes, I do. I, I, I hope I didn't pick this already, but if I did, I don't care because it's so good. So for, for people who enjoy an occasional glass of wine, there is a service online called Tasting Room that does this super cool thing where, you know, it, it kind of desnobifies the wine experience in a way that's like super sort of Web 2.0 kind of thing where you sign up for this for the service and they send you they start off by sending you a box with six bottles of the sort of like little air, airplane bottles of wine in it and there's two whites and four reds and they say they give you these little little cards and you put them on the you know little placemat kind of things and you put them on there and it says okay taste the two whites and rate the one you like better in our on our website like they have like a little web app and so you, you pick one or the other or you say that i hate them both or i love them both or i like this one better than the other and then you do the same thing with the reds you do it twice because there's four of those and so you kind of kind of have like a little final four with the, the reds and you put that information in the site and it's like okay great we're going to send you six types of wine two bottles each so they send you a case of wine that is mapped to your tastes based on your reaction to an actual taste test and on top of that, they include uh, here, you know, your, your tastes run this way. You probably like this kind of food. And in my case, they were 100% right. And these are the kinds of things that you should order with the food. Here's how you can order it. Uh, when you go to, a, if you go to this kind of a restaurant, like a pizza place, you should use this one. If you go to this kind of a place, like a fancy restaurant, you should get this one. It's like super friendly kind of, um, just gives you this sort of like a little bit level of confidence about ordering wine and, and getting stuff that you really like. And I'll tell you, when I got that first box, it pretty well nailed all of my tastes. I liked everything except for one of them, but then I can take the one and I feed it back into the, the system. And so the next, the next batch that I get, presumably I haven't gotten it yet, but presumably will be even uh, more to my liking, which I just, I just love that whole concept of, uh, of, kind of you know i'm not going to say ai because that's the buzzword but and i don't and i'm sure it's not AI. it's probably some people that are like oh he likes these and these but not these so let's try this one uh, but it's just super fun it's like having a it's like having a you know a sommelier at your disposal and it just shows up on your doorstep which is also fun but you will have to buy a wine rack if you don't have one <laughs> so I, I must say it, sound, it sounds to me like a total machine learning thing um but may, maybe there's just like uh, you know they've got a bunch of cheap sommeliers 
in their basement. Yeah, <laughs> choosing things for people it for now. Uh, do they have an option where you can say that I have a bad client? Please send me like your strongest wine. <laughs> <laughs> this one's good with bubble baths and lavender candles. <laughs> that is fantastic. By the way, one of my uh, favorite podcast podcasts is uh, Slate Money, and they had a wine edition probably about a year or so ago, and they quoted a study by like the head of the economics department at some UC school who's also like the head of some wine organization in California. And he actually wrote a paper analyzing wine prizes that showed the way to get a prize for your wine is to submit it in as many contests as possible because the results are basically random. So the, so, so the fact that you like wines and like basically, and that you're not paying attention to necessarily brand, country, whatever, you're just saying, I like this, I don't like that, is probably way truer than, you know, just looking for things with a gold medal. Absolutely, yeah. Um, Erin, do you have any picks for us? Um, I think I actually share my email templates if anybody has a difficult client. Um, if you go to erinflynn.com, my website, you'll find um, well, all my workshops and my books, but the Say What ebook, um, it's full of, I believe we have 84 different responses now to problem client situations. So everything from late payments to um, abusive clients to, you know, just checking in like, hey, where the heck did you go? Um, I have all of those kinds of scenarios listed in there. Um, and it's my it's my most popular product ever. Um, and it's, it's really, um, it's really kind of fun. So even if you don't have a problem client right now, there's a lot of fun scenarios on there, um, that you might run into. So it's a nice little, um, kind of buffer and little boost of confidence where if you ever do get a bad client, you can answer them confidently and easily by simply copying and pasting an email script and filling in a couple blanks. Amazing, amazing. Uh, so I've got a quick pick as well. Um, I uh, This is sort of a general idea pick, which is surveying your mailing list. I'm going to be doing a new product uh, soon um, in terms of teaching online. And I decided to survey my email list. I use SurveyMonkey for that. But there are a few different services you can use. And the results were just amazingly useful to me. They really gave me an indication of what people are interested in me doing and what they would buy. And uh, I strongly, strongly encourage you all, first of all, to have a mailing list. And then second of all, to be in touch with them and ask them what they're interested in because they will tell you. And then surprisingly enough, when you do what they want, they will be even happier. So. Uh, <laughs> who knew? Who knew, right, right. You know, the se secrets of marketing and psychology. Erin, um, uh, if people want to be in touch with you, other than getting your amazing email templates, what is a great way to do that? Honestly, the easiest way is just go to AaronFlynn.com, um, and then I have links to, like, my Twitter. I have links to my workshops. I'm on Twitter a lot, um, and that's a great way to just ask me quick questions. If people um, are web designers or developers specifically, I have a free Facebook community, which you can also find through my website. It's called the Unstoppable Basecamp. Um, it is only for web designers and developers, unfortunately, but um, if you are, you know, in a different industry, feel free to hit me up on Twitter with any questions. I'm at Aaron three, the number three Flynn, because Aaron Flynn is taken. Um, but I'm, I'm on social media an alarming amount. <laughs> I'm always willing to uh, chat with people and help people out if they have problems, especially with bad clients. Okay, and and just like to double check your URL for your your site because I have a name that many people misspell. Can you just spell out the URL people should go to? Because I know they're all typing as they listen to this. Yes. So my old URL has an e in the middle, but I have just changed to Aaron E R I N Flynn F L Y N N dot com. Um, if you type in Aaron E Flynn dot com, you'll still get where you need to go. Excellent. Excellent. All right. Well, Aaron, thank you so much. This was great. 
Um, and uh, we hope to hear from you more and maybe have you on again. Thanks to all of you for listening. And we will be here next week on The Freelancer Show. Bye. Thank you for having me. Bandwidth for this segment is provided by Cashfly, the world's fastest CDN. Deliver your content fast with Cashfly. Visit C-A-C-H-E-F-L-Y dot com to learn more.